Welcome, and thank you so much for tuning in to Rock Church's message. We are so excited that you are here today. We hope that you leave today encouraged and know that you are loved by God. Good morning. It's kind of surreal sometimes being the one with the microphone in your hand. Because I've, I've preached many times and I've, you know, I love it. I love sharing God's word. I love presenting a challenge and a message. And I love speaking into people with the word of God because the word of God is so powerful. But I don't know, like Pastor Aaron was saying this week, usually like by this time, it was, I don't know if it was yesterday or Friday, I'm kind of getting nervous, you know, because I got to preach on Sunday. And I was feeling like, oh, I'm not, not like really nervous, but I'm. I'm just like, I can hardly believe it. And I think that most of you, if you look at your life, you actually can realize that I'm right now where I'm at with God. This is for me for sure. I feel so honored and so blessed that God still chooses to use me because I'm such a screw up. Anybody with me? Because if it wasn't for God, we would be so far away. So I'm honored to be standing here so thank you, Pastor Gary, for the opportunity. And the, the, truth about, the truth about life in general is that pride, which we're talking about today, love is not proud. Pride is one of the greatest destroyers. It's also one of the things that destroys unity altogether. And the truth of, about Pastor Gary and myself and the rest of the staff, we're one. And we move forward as one. And we talk together about things because we're one. And we want to keep that unity because it's so vital. This is the reality. I've been to a lot of stadium events through the years of leading teenagers, bringing them to these different stadium events. And there's always like a youth pastor training thing. And sometimes I go, sometimes I don't. One of the reasons why I don't even like going is because you stand in line waiting to get into this tent or this whatever it is that they have set up. And I, I can't even tell you how many times I've stood there in line listening to a youth pastor in front of me or a youth pastor behind me bickering and complaining about their church and about their pastor and about this issue and about that issue. And I thought that's your biggest problem is that disunity because when pride comes in, you puff yourself up and then there's disunity and God only works through unity. So I found it really really difficult to pray about a powerful message on pride. I didn't know how to pray that prayer. You know, God, give me the best message that I have ever preached in my life. And then you take a step back and say, but I'm preaching on pride. How do you even pray? And I came to this conclusion, too, in life. There are no levels of sin, but pride is the worst of them all. And it is the reality. If you think about every sin that is out there, what is behind it is pride. Everything. And we'll look further into that. But let's look at the first four verses that we've been going through here in 1 Corinthians. If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I gain nothing. 
If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love is patient. Love is kind. How many of you are desperate for a little bit of that in your life? You need a little patience? Pastor Nick preached that a couple weeks ago. And last week, Pastor Gary, love does not envy. Anybody need the grace of God to overcome You don't even realize how much envy is a part of your life. And today we're exploring that love is not proud. Pride is a destroyer. And boasting is the physical manifestation of that pride. You speak it out loud and it shows what you're most proud of. And we will look at this. There is a good pride. To take pride in something is great. But the truth is, when you boast, it only proves how prideful you are. Former heavyweight boxer, James Quick Tillis, he was a cowboy from Oklahoma, and he went to Chicago to fight as a boxer in the early 80s. He shares his story about showing up to Chicago for the first time. He gets off of the bus, and he's got these cardboard suitcases, you know, really old, he's really poor. He drops him to the ground in front of the Sears Tower and he looks up and he says, I am going to conquer Chicago. And he looks down and his suitcases are gone. (laughs) Chicago already conquered him. And that's the reality. God has a way of bringing us back to the reality of life. A turtle once wanted to spend the winter in Florida. You can imagine why. But he knew he could never walk that far. So he convinced a couple of geese to help him out. He said, you two grab each one side of this heavy rope and I'll clamp onto the middle side with my jaw. And they took off. And they were flying great. Everything was going fine. Other geese even were looking over and noticing and they said, that is so, whose idea was that? And the turtle opens his mouth and says, I did. (laughs) That's pride. We just can't resist taking the credit for something only to destroy our own lives. And that's what pride does. You will do more damage in your spiritual life than anyone else around you. You, yourself. Because the fact is, in your pride, you're going to blame someone else for your mistakes. And you're going to take credit for all of your successes. Forgetting that... You're only successful because of the people that spoke into you and challenged you to change and to become a preacher. Thank you, Pastor Gary. When you forget where you came from, you're going to be going down a terrible path in your future. And God is so gracious. Praise God for his grace, right? God is so gracious He actually wisely designed the human body so that we could neither pat our own backs nor kick ourselves too easily. And it's a good thing. Because the reality is we can't can't even find the balance between those two things. There's an element of, you know, I want to pat myself on the back, but there's a lot of times that I really want to kick myself too. Because I made so many. And where's the balancing act? And this is something that I really was challenged with by God because he always puts things in your life. You know, when we talk about patience and envy and pride and God places those things in front of you to have to deal with. And so 
I found myself really wanting to be really critical about someone. It's, it's a pastor that I know, but I'm not close to. And he posted, like a lot of people posted about Billy Graham, you know, the influence they had in their life. And he specifically, this pastor was m- mentioning how, how he really appreciated Billy Graham and the way that he lived his life and how he protected his marriage and he, how he kept himself from, from lust and from, from just all kinds of wickedness that he could have gotten into. And I just thought, all right, I know this guy that's writing this and I know that he has screwed up more times than I've ever seen in anyone else's life. To the point of blowing up angry wife after wife after wife after wife. And now he's, now he's praising Billy Graham, which he should be because Billy Graham was a godly man and he did set up standards in his life. But I looked at this guy saying, you're praising that, but you're living. And I automatically had to take a step back and think, I know too much. And when I know so much about a person, then I forget the grace of God for that person. Pride likes to negate the grace of God in others' lives while crying out for it in our own lives. Yes, I need the grace of God, and so do my enemies. So do the people that don't agree with me. So do the people that I don't agree with. And yes, somebody might not be living the way that you think they should be living, but the reality is just telling them that's not going to change them. Extending love is but the poison of pride is killing us. And it is a poison. One of the greatest questions that people ask both believers and non-believers is why do bad things happen to good people? And the, the truest biblical answer to that is there are no good people. And if we could just recognize that, it would wash all kinds of pride away because we'd all realize that we are failures. There are no good people. We're all prideful, egotistical morons in some way or another. Anybody with me? That is the truth. Praise God for his grace that covers. There are no good people, but the truth is about life, he sends difficulties and hardships and pain for a purpose. The life of following Christ is uneasy. It's not the easy route. It's the uneasy route, but it's the most blessed route. But oftentimes we like to take pride in how, how well our lives are all put together. It's like the piece of pottery that I made when I was in school. I thought it was just the coolest looking thing. So we had to make these little ring things. You had to roll out the thing and you had to actually put it on top. Like, I don't know, you had to make this thing, it was a specific way to do it. And we put it in the kiln, and then we, we added some stuff to it, and we put it in the kiln and glazed it and all this stuff, and I brought it home. I was all proud of it. I go to my parents' house now, and I see that same little piece of pottery, and I think, what on earth is that? <laughs> it's the way it is. We, we try to shape and fashion our lives to look the right way, but if you could just look from the outside and see what you look like. That's oftentimes our mistake. We should be boasting in our sufferings, the Bible says. Romans 5 doesn't just say, it says that we should hope in the glory of God, but we also should rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character brings hope. Everyone is looking for hope. Everyone wants purpose in their life. And you're not going to find it in boasting about yourself and building yourself up by tearing others down. 
You're only going to find it by seeking God, surrendering to him. Bad things do happen to the just and the unjust alike. That's, that's from the Bible. The just and the unjust receive rain or drought. The reality is all those things, all the bad things that happen in your life, they happen for a specific reason, a couple reasons. First of all, God wants you to acknowledge him. He wants you to acknowledge him. Recognize that he is God, that you're not. That's one of the hardest things in the world because we like to set everything up and have it look a certain way, and I'm like that. I like having everything all organized and perfect, and when things come in and get it messed up, I think I've gotten pretty comfortable with it being messed up because life has a way of doing that. God wants us to acknowledge him, to rejoice every single day. Even when things are going bad, rejoice. God also wants to knock the pride out of us. And when I say us, I mean you and me, but I also mean like us, like the U.S., USA. The reality is we have it so good that we have it too good. And it takes you actually going to another country to realize how good we have it. That's why we always challenge people to go on a mission trip because you have to have a perspective change of how much blessing you have in your life and to realize how much you need God. Coming back from Vietnam, obviously that was life-changing, the experience that we had this last trip and facing those six police officers. And I came home and every single day I've been reading through different parts of the world, different countries. And I'm so blown away how many countries the Bible is restricted. It's not allowed to be brought in, passed out. All the more we must recognize that that is where the power is, is in the word of God. And if, they, if they're restricting it in those nations, then we need it all the more, as do they. I just read this morning, Saudi Arabia, one of the richest nations in the world, is also one of the greatest persecutors of Christians. And yet, Christianity is thriving. And people are hungering and thirsting for it because they don't have hope in, in their present situation. But since being there, I, you know, I've been reading all these things from Voice of the Martyrs and recognizing the way that God is still working amidst all the persecution around the world. And I was really blown away. I read, of course, about a pastor from Vietnam. And I thought it was really interesting, not just his story. His story is really powerful, and God worked in a powerful way. But I was just really kind of trying to figure out why in the world did this happen. And Because the story starts off by saying, when our troops, the United States, pulled out of Vietnam, the North took over the South. And this pastor at that time was put on house arrest for 12 years. And I said, well, what was the result of our troops being pulled out? And so you dig into a little bit of history and you read about Richard Nixon. And Nixon had a plan to back the South and to fight against the communists in the North. And so he told the South, we're with you. We're going to fight for you. So he had a good thing going. But back home in Washington... He had a bad thing going. If, you, if any of you know, you obviously know the story and understand. I can't go through every single detail of it. But politically, he was taking things into his own hands and was caught stealing information. 
which ended his presidency, which also ended the support of the South. And so the North took over the South, and this pastor and many others since have faced persecution because of one man's pride. Can you understand this? And I thought that was so powerful. The, the stories in and of themselves of all these Christians around the world being persecuted was so powerful. But this one rung so true to me in preparing for this message because the reality is pride in my life can destroy me, but it destroys a lot of other people too. So you better be careful. You think that things are not going to change, and so take matters into your own hands, which only proves your lack of faith. And it results in your destruction. Last week, Sunday night, I bought, uh, at Christmas time, I bought for stocking stuffers tickets to Toby Mac. So we went there last week, and Danny Goki is one of the guys that sang. And he shared this quote. Someone else's survival is dependent on yours. I thought that was so true way back in the 70s for Vietnam. Someone else's survival. If you, are, if you have any sort of influence and leadership, which you do, you do in your family, you do in your workplace, you do even here at church, you have influence to impact other people. And your survival, you staying focused, because many people want to just give up, throw in the towel, but your survival is going to be very dependent on someone else's survival too. You must survive so that your kids can survive. If that's not enough of a focus and a purpose to live for, then I don't know what else is. Because your kids need consistency. Your pride is doing to your kids what Nixon, Nixon's pride did for that pastor and many others. Now, I don't want you just to think about, well, this week or next month or the next year. I want you to think forward thinking years down the road. How is what I'm doing right now going to affect my kids and my spouse and my friends and me for the long haul, for eternity? Your pride will be their guide. For your kids, your pride and what you take pride in will be the guide for your, your family, for your life, for your friends, for the unity that you have. What you take pride in will determine either a rough road or a blessed road. How many of you want a blessed road? Do you know that the blessed road is still full of hardships and pain? But there's great blessing in it because you're going down the right path. Righteousness do, is doing the right thing. Righteousness is not staying away from the bad thing. It's doing the right thing. Let me help you to understand this. Because the truth is, if I'm doing the right thing, I don't want to do the wrong thing. And we're all focused on, you're doing wrong, you're doing wrong, you're doing wrong. you got to adjust this. you got to change this. But we're not focusing on, just do the right thing. Instill the right things in your kids. And they won't want to do the wrong things. I played soccer when I was in college, all, you know, from ASO all the way to college. I know soccer is kind of like the wussy sport. Everybody always kind of thinks that. That's just because all the wusses can't run that much, I guess. 
So our coach, though, in college, I remember him always saying, get your pride on the way out. You know, we'd all be meeting in the locker room. They'd try to pump you up and say, get your pride on the way out. It's like, did I lose it? I didn't even know what that really meant. Where'd my pride go? And so the, the, the custom was, I mean, every, everybody's got their rituals, you know, all, all the different uh, athletes, you all have your, your rituals, but everybody in the team would jump when they're going out of the door and, and smack the top of the door and, and yell, pride! Seems really stupid when I think about it now. <laughs> but the reality is, it was, he was doing the best he could to kind of pump us all up, get us excited. And what it really means is, Get your pride, take it with you to the field. Take pride in what you're doing. Be the team, be together, fight for something together. Take pride in this thing. And there's a balancing act because we must take pride, we must not let it take us. Because there is a point to being confident and excited and proud, but it's different when it's being just confident and proud in yourself. So you can, you can take pride in your team because it's a team effort. And that's why it's good for kids to be a part of a team because it helps to build that, that unity and let's work together and let's get excited for each other. When, when this person does something good, let's support him and let's praise him. It's not just all about you. But imagine Joseph, after 17 years, his brothers casting him out, selling him into slavery, Imagine Joseph being so full of pride and hate instead at the end and getting back at his brother would have died in a famine. Imagine if Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he just said, you know, this is just too much. I don't want to sacrifice myself. I don't want to go to the cross. It would affect all of mankind. There would be no hope. And yet he gave. So powerful to think that he took pride in you. And you're sitting in the room today thinking, man, I'm just worthless. I've screwed up so many times in my life. I've made so many mistakes or I'm on the wrong path right now and I don't know what to do. The, the reality is Jesus takes pride in you. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what road you've gone down. It doesn't matter what road you're on right this minute. It doesn't matter what mistakes you made 10 minutes ago. He takes pride in you. How many of you watched Mr. Rogers? Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? I changed one word throughout this poem. The word like, I changed to love. But this is Mr. Rogers' poem. It's you I love. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair, but it's you I love, the way you are right now, the way down deep inside you, not the things that hide you, not your toys, they're just beside you, but it's you I love. Every part of you, your skin, your eyes, your feelings, whether old or new, I hope that you'll remember, even when you're feeling blue, that it's you I love. It's you yourself. It's you. It's you I love. It kind of, kind of makes me want to cry. Because if every child could hear that from their dad, it would change our whole culture. That's what's missing. I, 
it was, I don't know, Thursday night maybe, and Emma, they were going to bed. You know, we were playing a game, and then they were going to bed. And she said, can you come upstairs and play guitar? And so I was a little bit, maybe five minutes later, a little bit delayed in getting up there, and she was already sound asleep. So I, I was standing by her bed with my guitar. And I kid you not, the words in the song that came to me was, was so, so profoundly powerful to me. It might not be to anybody else in the world. But to, to imagine a kid growing up without that love blows my mind. And it's happening all over the place. Fatherlessness because the father's not there or he's just not interested. It is so important to have you fathers in your kids' lives. It is so important for mothers to be in their lives too for, for other reasons, but there's no question that all of the crime and all of the shootings and all the things that you see going on, every single one of them, I guarantee you 90% of them are related to fatherlessness. This is what we need. Pride gets in the way of even showing love to our own kids. Because we're too, we're too big. We're too good for that. We're too macho. God is in the business of changing lives. I was standing there by Emma's bed. There was part of it that was really comical. Because I started just kind of fiddling on the guitar. And these words were coming to my mind. All of a sudden her eyes opened really wide and she goes, <gasps> I scared her to death because she was sound asleep. And she all of a sudden kind of woke up and there I was standing right there. But then last night, um, I recorded a little bit of the song that I was playing there. And I sent it to her. And I just said, I don't know if you remember waking up scared to death. But I want you to know that I love you. It's one of the most valuable things for a kid. I can tell you that I don't know why I turned out. You know, when I, when I, I know that I had great parents and when I think about how they, how they raised me and the, the guidelines they had for me, I think I never had a curfew. I, you know, there, were, there was one night that I didn't show up at all, so, so that was one time they were really upset, but that was really the only time. But they never really had all these great standards. I don't feel like, I mean, no, no dissing on my parents because I love them like crazy, but I feel like, I don't know, there was so much that they didn't offer me but the reality is they loved me so much that that's all I needed. That's all I, because I think there was, because my dad, I'm a lot like my dad. I'm very, very quiet, very bashful. And so in a way, that's also a form of pride. No question about it. And it keeps me from doing what I should do. And so I, I picture that as being my dad, too. Like, he was just kind of afraid. Like, I don't know what to do. I'm, I don't know how to talk about this. I don't, this is a scary subject. And my dad wasn't a big talker, so it was just kind of like, so I wonder often, how did I get to the point that I'm at? It's because my parents loved me. And that's enough. 
It's amazing that God so loved that he gave. The truest evidence of selfless love. His love made impact because it was not about him. It was all about you. He gave. Jesus so loved that he willingly laid down his life. He was in the garden. He was praying to God. He was saying, take this cup from me. It is so much to bear, but not if it's your will for me. God, if it's your will, I say, I will. If it's your will, I say, I will. Say that with me. God, if it's your will, I say, I will. Do you know how dangerous that is? But how powerful that is? It's a dangerous thing to pray, but it's exactly what we need. I will is stated in so many ways in the way that we live our lives. Going to church regularly says, I will. Open up your Bible every day says, I will. Giving a tenth of your income to God says, I will. Spending time in prayer consistently says, God, I will. We think it has some magical anointing that falls on us because we go to a concert, because we go to a conference, we go to a retreat or a church service. And you might get built up and pumped up at one of those things, but it's not going to last if you don't focus on those things. It won't. Life is coming. It's going to slap you right upside the head. And you probably need it. But the reality is your I will will turn into I won't really fast. Consistency is the greatest definition of willingness. Consistency. Be the person that stays focused. Because pride is the thing that creeps in and keeps me from being consistent. Like, well, you know, I'm doing really good. I don't need to get up early anymore to read my Bible. Or I can just kind of skip out this week and go into church because we think that we have it all together. And I can tell you without question, in 15 years, I have seen, well, let's just say 100% of the people that I've, of the families that have ever come to us and said, we're going to do church at home today with our family. Every, 100% of those families have ended in divorce. We have witnessed it firsthand. We're going to stay home. We're not going to attend youth group anymore. We're just going to have our own time with God as a family. And the reason is not because they're not focusing and opening the Bible. They might have a little service together as a family, but the reality is pride creeps in and makes us believe that we're okay, that we can make it on our own, that we don't need anybody else speaking into our life, that I'm the spiritual guide in my kid's life and nobody else has to be. That's where we make the biggest mistake. Pride creeps in. Are you willing Will you prove by your consistency that you're willing to do whatever it is that God has called you to do? Stay consistent in reading his word. This, this is the reality. Reading God's word and praying, those are the two key things that people always go to to say, this, you know, I can ask a teenager, what do you need to change? I need to pray more. What do you need to, I need to read the Bible more. But you know what else we're missing? Because those are true. Those are true things. You do need to do that. But I also want to put this in there. Be consistent in worship. The Bible says not to give up meeting together. So this corporate worship we all 
worship together. But there's also a private worship. And worship is vital for the church. It's not so vital at church. It's just vital for the church, for you, for me, for the body of Christ. Us as believers, it is important for us to worship. And this is one of the things I think that we're really missing with God. Because the reason why you don't open your Bible consistently is because it's not speaking to you quite like you wish it would. And so you don't conclude your time with God by worshiping him. And that's why you don't pray. But if you could actually experience God in a little bit of worship and get a little crazy and your hands starts to go up, and you know why it doesn't go up? Because we're too proud. Because we're ashamed. We think, oh, our kids might think we're crazy. My neighbors might think I'm crazy if I'm dancing around in my underwear. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't be doing that, but... The presence of God is something that should be celebrated. But we sit back and forget what God even spoke about five minutes before. 2 Samuel 6, 14 says, David danced before the Lord with all of his might. With all of his might. You've been to weddings before, right? You go to the reception where people are dancing with all of their might. It's not pretty. It's one of the hideous, most hideous things that you will ever experience, but yet we do it anyway. But verse 16 says, Michal, Michal, that's how you pronounce it. I looked it up. I went online and I found a YouTube video of a, a lady whose name is Michal. And she actually has like a two minute long video telling you how to pronounce her name and she says it's kind of like hakanalugi and she demonstrated or like gargling water which she, she did that too but this is david's wife michael daughter of saul she watched from a window and when she saw king david leaping and dancing before the lord she despised him in her heart David was leaping and dancing, and this is the reality. The scripture actually says he took off his outer robe. He wasn't really dancing in his underwear. He took off his outer robe, his kingly robe, and he was wearing the priestly robe underneath, or the priestly garment, I should say. And she thought that was the worst thing. You are a king. You should act like a king. And his response was, no, I'll be even more undignified than this. Because he recognized that me being king means absolutely nothing if he's not king first. So he laid down his own position to raise and to glorify God. That is vital to us being used by God 100%. Are you focused on the main thing or are you focused on your thing? Music was not the main thing even for David. A lot of times you think about David, you think about music because he played music and he did all this stuff. But that wasn't the main thing. The truth is, you know, at weddings, when you go to a wedding, the music is the main thing and that's why it's so ugly. And it might have been really ugly for David to be out there dancing, but the reality is what was on his heart was real. David was focused on the main thing, that being the glory of God being exalted. Praising God changes everything about how you operate your life. He used music simply to express it. 
But his wife, on the other hand, she focused on her thing. You're not the main thing either. I'm not the main thing. God wants us to stay focused on the main thing, which is Jesus Christ died for you, saved you, changed you, and he wants you to tell someone else so that they can change and they can tell someone else and they can change and the gospel will reach the ends of the earth. And you know what stops the gospel is pride. It stops God's work in your life and it stops God's work through you to other people. God is in the business of bringing us back to the main thing. And sometimes you have to go all the way to the bottom before you realize that you got to get focused on the main thing. It's way better if you would just focus right now. Get back to the start, to the beginning point. Remember when you were first a Christian, when you first surrendered your life to Christ and you were so excited? There wasn't one thing you couldn't praise God about. There was not one thing that you couldn't open your mouth and give God praise for. But as time went by, life started to kind of hit, and then you started to realize, well, I, I've done all right. And that's when you start to miss church and separate from Bible studies and separate from being in God's word on a personal basis. Pride manifests itself in the lack of worship. Pride comes into your life because you stop worshiping and adoring God. And that's a dangerous position to be. When we don't worship Jesus, this is the case. When you cease to worship God, you solicit worship. When you cease to worship God, you solicit worship. Pride creeps in and suddenly it's all about you. It's about what I want. Look at me, notice me, recognize me. It's all about me. When you cease to worship, you become the, the worship. People start to worship you. Look at me. Lucifer is a terrible baby name. But that's interesting because he was an anointed cherub angel in heaven at one time. And so I imagine his name was, was great. But he became the devil because he failed to worship God. If you quit worshiping God, you're going to become something, someone that you don't want to be. Lucifer was worshiping God. But he ceased to worship God and started to worship himself or receive worship for himself. And he was cast out of heaven. Not only that, but he took two th or one third of all the angels out of heaven with him. So if you don't worship, if you're not exalting God, if you're not agreeing, if you're not a part of what God is doing, you're going to take other people right with you. Don't give up. Give in to the stirring of God's spirit in your life instead. Rejoice. Dance. Get a little excited. Whoop. Isn't it embarrassing to get excited? Why? Because I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to change this too. Because I'm sick of being that bashful, I'm afraid of what other people think sort of stupidity. We should get back to the start. 
we should move right back to where God was really changing and challenging us. Because the reality is, there's not a single day that you can go by reading the word of God and not get something more powerful out of it than the day before. Every single day. What you don't turn into praise will turn into pride. If you don't exalt him, it's going to be all about you. That's the way that it works. You may not like what you're going through right now. Praise God anyways. You may be like, I just want to give up. Throw in the towel. I can't take it anymore. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Praise God anyways. He will respond. Lucifer failed, and this is how it works. Pride crept in. Self-exaltation comes, and that is your destruction. Pride, self-exaltation, destruction. It's exactly what will happen to you. If you don't praise God, you won't be in God's presence, and it will take you out. Pride is the greatest pollution problem in our culture, in our world today. There's all kinds of pollution. There's all kinds of things to fight for, but the reality is pride is the number one pollution that is affecting our world today. It polluted Lucifer's worship, and it is for us. It keeps us from standing up to be excited about God. It keeps us from raising our hands. It keeps us from agreeing. It keeps us from being excited when even when nobody else is excited. But we should. Think about it. We see celebrities worshiped, and we see them crumble and fall because they are exalted. And the reason being, they weren't created to be worshiped. They can't handle it. They can't take it, and, and they commit suicide. They get into drugs and alcohol, and they destroy their lives. So many musicians, so many actors and actresses, so many popular people, they are exalted, and they want to kill themselves. You know what? Toby Matt concert last week, actually one of the more moving things in the beginning um, before Toby Matt came out was the testimony, like I said, of Danny Goki. The testimony, too, actually, of Mandisa really blew my mind. And I don't listen to a lot of Mandisa because, I don't know, it's just not something I listen to a lot of. But, but this was really interesting. Two years ago, so it would probably be more like four years ago, from 2000, uh, I don't know, I think she said 13 to 16 or something. I don't know, 14 to 16, I think, were the years. She said she, she came out with this album called Overcomers. I think that was like 2013. She said the year after that was my downfall. The devil crept in and said, you have this album and you have this song called Overcomers, but you're not an overcomer. She said my weight was my issue. And she said the devil just got in and said, you are worthless. She said she spent two years after the album came out, she toured with it. She came home, and for two years, she sat home, and she ate, and she ate, and she ate, and she came to the point where she had pills in her hands, and she was ready to end her life when she finally reached out to somebody to get some serious help. And we have no idea. She said she gained 200 pounds in those two years because of serious depression in her life. And it is a reality, even in the Christian culture, we elevate. 
You know, the radio is all about just elevating. Who's going to be the hit? Who are the top, you know, 10 songs for this month? And, and it's destroying because we're, we're worshiping the wrong thing. We're focused on the wrong thing. God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Billy Graham was with a couple of politicians. They were actually going down the road in a parade. And one of the politicians, I heard him actually share this about Billy Graham since he passed away. He said that I was in this parade with another politician and Billy Graham. And the two politicians are there doing their thing, you know, waving and smiling to people. And Billy just kind of sat in the middle. And the guy turned to him and said, are you okay? He said, yeah, this is just really awkward. I'm just really embarrassed because he specifically said, this is not about me. And that's the way he lived his whole life. But this politician just said, his hand shot down so fast. He said that moment with Billy Graham changed his whole career, changed his whole life. Because he recognized, yeah, it's, it's not about me. Even as a politician, he realized, it's not about me. It's pride that halts the work of God. And it's pride that halts the work of God in others' lives that you could be ministering to. I want you to understand this. You could be ministering to the next Billy Graham or the next Lucifer. What's your influence going to be? How are you influencing people? Gandhi, he was asked, though you quote the words of Christ often, why is it that you appear so adamantly to reject becoming his follower? And Gandhi said, well, I don't reject your Christ. I love your Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike your Christ. This is the truth about Gandhi. True story about his student days. He was reading the Gospels. And he thought that maybe he had found the cure to the caste system in India. You know what the caste system is? It separates people. If you're poor, you're going to be poor the rest of your life. There's no hope of getting out of it. So he's like, I could, I could actually cure the caste system, I think, with, with what I'm reading. I want to know more. And so he went to church, and he wanted to ask the pastor how to become a Christian. The usher refused to give him a seat and suggested that he should go sit and worship with his own people. Gandhi left the church and never returned. He said, if Christians have a caste system just like they do in India, then I may as well continue to be a Hindu. And that's the reality. We are actually, we have opportunities right in front of us to create a Billy Graham, but we're pushing them out instead by our critical spirits and our pride, by our hate. Because you're different, or you dress different, or you look different. Because I remember starting to play the bass guitar when I was in church, and good old Denny would come to me, an old guy in the church, you got to turn that bass down, son. So guess what I did next week? I was playing the drums. It doesn't sit well when people are like that. Love is the only thing that works. I want to close with these couple of quotes from Abraham Lincoln. Man, we need, I love this. I really have to look into this. Back in 1863, it's called a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer. My goodness, do we need that. This is what he said, Abraham Lincoln. 
We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown, but we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. We have vainly imagined that in the deceitfulness of our hearts that, we, that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with our unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. I thought that was so incredible. That was back in 1863. Do we need that today? More than ever. Listen to Benjamin Franklin. There is, no, there is perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. Beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases, it is still alive. Even if I should conceive that I have completely overcome it, I should probably take pride in my humility. It's exactly what happens. What has consumed you? I think that we would be shocked and amazed because the reality is I try to think, boy, I'm not just a prideful person, but the truth is, even in my quietness and my bashfulness, it is pride. And you're sitting in the room saying, There's, I don't need to change, I'm doing okay. But that's pride that keeps God from working in your life. And so I want you at this moment right now to say, this is what I need to change. And I need to be even more undignified than this. We need to get to the point where we can rip off the outer robe and actually worship God and not worry about what anybody else thinks. I want you to close your eyes with me. I want you to dig down deep and I want you to ask God, what is your will for my life? Because God, your will, I will say, I will. God, what is your purpose? What is your plan for my life? The first thing, the first and absolute most true thing about God is he wants you. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. It starts right there. And so we put aside our pride. And Christians in the room, I want you right now to just acknowledge God by saying, God, oh, I need a change. Put up your hands. Oh, God, I need a change. Change this thing about me. Change the thing that keeps me from really seeking after you. It's a distraction in my life that I need to change. It's a habit that I need to change. I need to overcome. And in you, Jesus, I am an overcomer. Pray for everyone that desires that. Empower us. Thank you so much for sticking around and listening to the word that God has for you. We pray that you go out into the world now and you live differently, you act differently, and you love differently.